So the name of this show is Hitting the Mark. I'm the Mark, Jeffrey Mark, and we're talking about my dear friend, Jack Riley. Let me start with this. Um, Jack Riley was a graduate of St. Ignatius and John Carroll University in Cleveland, Ohio. That I do know. And I know that uh, his first TV show that I remember watching him on was The Occasional Wife in 1966, which, uh, interestingly enough, the narrator was Vince Scully. Who was yeah, the, and, Mickey, and Mickey Callan, Michael Callan, who was a star of the show. Michael Callan and Patricia Hardy. Yeah. Uh, uh, Mickey, Mickey's, Mickey's now at the motion picture home in Midland Hills, California. But Mickey and I were good buddies, too. And he loved working with Jack. Jack loved being on the show. They were both sorry that it only ran one season. But Jack went right, went right from that show to the beginnings of Latin as a writer and as an occasional performer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Think uh, about Ohio, you know, you guys, and Jack and I talked about this a lot, how many people we knew who came out of the Ohio area who were so talented, either as comedians or comedy writers. So many people, I must know 20, 30 people who mm-hmm. came out of Ohio, uh, including the two of you, who are very talented in show business. There must be something in the water in Ohio that uh, you guys all seem to have a, a, a good, crooked, funny book. Well, maybe I'll find that water and drink it one day. <laughs> hey, I wanted to show you this. Um, I found at, this. Yes, we're looking at, uh, for those of you who aren't going to see this, a Peter Puck <laughs> DVD board game. Yeah. That, uh, yeah, Ronnie Shell. Yeah, the reason I laughed about Ronnie Shell, and I, I don't mean to speak badly about Ronnie, but Ronnie is one of those people who has so many persnickety character flaws. You love him anyway. Ronnie was very good looking. Ronnie, Ronnie's almost 90, and he was a bodybuilder until recently. Uh, kept himself in incredible shape. Funny guy. But <laughs> Ronnie could be homophobic. Ronnie could be a little teeny wee bit anti-Semitic. Ronnie could steal material from other people. Ronnie could um, Ronnie could give you a hard time sometimes. A lot of us loved him. Ronnie had a lot of friends. But with everybody, you had to take a little grain of salt with Ronnie. Jack didn't mind. Jack was very Catholic in his tastes, Catholic with a small city. Religiously, he was Catholic. And uh, his favorite folks were other Irish Catholics. He could relate to them. They, they went to religious school with his kids. That, that commonality, when you come from the same sort of background. So I was in Ronnie's company a lot and ronnie gave me a hard time sometimes the first time i met ronnie was the first time i went to yarmie's army and his greeting to me was great another jew boy just what we need here (laughs) now he was trying to be funny but just that that thought crossed his mind was inappropriate Ronnie also, through the years, has given me, in humor, a hard time about being gay. So much so that every time something in the world happened where the world gay was mentioned, and we were having dinner with other people, not, not alone. Alone, he was beautiful with me. But in front of other people, hey, Jeff, 
and it would be something in the news about some famous gay person. Tell us about that. Like, like, why would I know any more than you do? And I did have a comeback from him. And I'm going to have to clean this up because we were clean here. We're a family show. Ray Carr and Sidney Bible. Uh, I, I finally had enough of his doing that in public. I'll clean this up. This is not what I said, but you'll get the point. You know, Ronnie, just because I had sex with you once doesn't mean that I know everything about being gay. <laughs> now, that's not what I said, but you get the point. And it worked. He, I, he never did that with me again. And in fact, the last, the last time I saw him <clears throat> was a couple of years ago at the uh, Jack Rowley's memorial service, uh, where he, we, we literally hugged each other and cried. So please don't think that I don't love Ronnie. I do, but he's, 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 you got to deal with Ronnie. It's not always easy. We were at the Army's Army. We were doing a benefit. I, believe it or not, the Beverly Hills Police Station has its own amphitheater, right? That's Beverly Hills. The police station has an amphitheater. That's amazing. And um, Peter Marshall was singing. And uh, who else was with us that day? Because it's important to the story. And now I'm screwing up the story because I can't think of an actor. One of the stars of the sitcom, Barney Miller, who was tall and blonde and Steve Landisberg. There we go. See, if you talk long enough, the word. Oh, Steve Landisberg, right. Steve Landisberg, yeah. Steve Landisberg was there. Ronnie was there. Peter Marshall, Jim McGeorge, the wonderful comedian, who just, we just lost him a couple of weeks ago. And Jim starts doing his part of the show. And there was no real backstage for us. So a part of the stage on the side was curtained off to give us a little green room to sit in while we were waiting to go on. And Ronnie is fussing and fuming. He's doing my material. I wrote that line. I paid for that line. It's mine. Why is he? Now, Jim McGeorge didn't need to steal anybody else's material. But this is who Ronnie was. And Steve had about enough of it. Now, Ronnie, for all of his good looks and muscles, Ronnie is about five foot six. Steve Landisberg was about six foot two and lanky. And Steve walks over to Ronnie, is seated in the chair, and just stands on top of him. He leans his lanky frame over him like he was a vulture about to attack. And Ronnie, shut the hell up. Only he didn't say anything. And you can see the blood drain out of Ronnie's face because when a bully's being a bully, when someone stands up to them, they stand down. But the rest of us couldn't stop laughing. We must have laughed for 20 minutes just watching Ronnie shrink to about three inches tall with Steve hovering over him. And, and Jack Riley was there that time. We were digressing away from Jack, but Ronnie was such a big part of Jack's life, as was Chuck that you, you can't uh, really not talk about. Well, Jack really was, um, he was on, the, he had a radio show on WERE, uh, Baxter and Riley. So he's been in comedy for a very long time. And a lot of people kind of forget that uh, aspect of his early on in his life. Jack loved doing radio. He loved doing cartoon voices. Jack loved to perform. His secret wish, his real, if he could like twitch his nose like Samantha and make something happen. What Jack wanted to be was a jazz pianist. And uh, he often played for me when I was at his house. 
And it's why we became uh, a duo, why we did an act together. It gave him a chance to play jazz and for me to sing the great American song book we read in. We were very successful. Wherever we played, we had a full house and the audiences loved us. So uh, only his MS stopped us from, uh, you know, his name was huge. My name is known. We, we could have gotten booked, you know, in large places in Vegas or the, Indians, the Native American casinos. Sorry, Native Americans, not Indian, Native American casinos. But his, his MS just stopped us. He couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. Could Jack have had bigger roles in movies had he focused on just that? Or was he pretty much, uh, you know, mostly television? It wasn't that he was television, it's that he was a character actor. Jack never had the confidence to play the handsome leading man. I thought Jack was very, very attractive. Uh, and his son is even better. But he didn't have the confidence for that. His career... Jack didn't really want to play it straight. He wanted to be funny. And he was. And when, when Jack was coming into the business in the late 50s, the early 60s, that's what funny was. The Paul Risers and the Jerry Seinfelds were good-looking uh, people who could leave Saturday Night Live or leave their nightclub act and become the romantic, sexy hero of a comedy movie. Didn't exist back then. That's not how Hollywood worked. So it wasn't that Jack wasn't movie material. It's just that Jack had made movies, and he did. I mean, he did make several films. But he was a character actor in the film. Very funny every time he was on camera. For every second he was on camera, he was funny. But he wasn't the guy getting the girl he was that guy's best friend or somebody's uncle or the desk clerk at the hotel or whomever he played. The only leading role I know of in a film was Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, which is a cult comedy classic. And that one <laughs> needs to be the star. Yeah. When Jack was doing Mr. Carlin, Elliot Carlin on the Bob Newhart show from 72 to 78, how much um, leeway did he have to create that character um, you know, from beginning to end? It wasn't a matter of leeway. We have to let our listeners know what time frame we're talking about and with whom we're talking. So this is the early 1970s. Uh, Mary Tyler Moore and Grant Tinker, who was her husband at the time, hired brilliant men to create a new sitcom for Mary called Mary Tyler Moore. But it wasn't called The Mary Tyler Moore Show, it was just called Mary Tyler Moore. And it became a very large success. CBS wanted another show for me. So they wanted to do something with Bob Newhart. The original pilot for the Bob Newhart show, uh, Bob and Jerry were both psychologists who shared an office together. And the show was about Bob and Emily trying to have a baby and uh, being unsuccessful and uh, you know, be, being a couple who are tiptoeing into middle age and want to have kids before that happens. That was the original premise. That pilot was never aired. Retold the show to make it that Jerry was a dentist. They all, lived in, they all worked in the same building together. Marsha Wallace was the glue that held them together. 
And uh, Emily was an independent woman. They didn't want, particularly want children. She was a, a school teacher. She had a life. They, they had all of these wacky people in their lives because of what Bob did for a living and maybe because of who they were because their next door neighbor played by Bill Daly was also a whack job. So into that steps Jack. I don't think the writers thought, ooh, this is going to be every week. It was a one-off. It was doing a guest star appearance, but the audience loved it. So much so that the writers were told, we did another Mr. Collins script very quickly. So I don't know that, that Jack himself was able to make the character out of whole cloth. He had to do what brilliant writers told him to do. Now, because Jack was himself a wonderful comedy writer and a wonderful comedian, once you inhabit that, once you get to play the same role with different scripts, then you bring yourself to that. It got so that all Jack had to do was walk out of the elevator and the audience was already laughing. They just sat back and went, this is going to be good because Jack was there because Mr. Carlin was there. And more and more of the episodes as time went on centered around Jack. And yes, of course, it, it gave Jack the actor, Jack the comedian, and probably Jack the comedy writer. Jack never took credit for anything he may have written for his character. I know there were times where in rehearsals he came up with a line or a punchline or a piece of physical business to do. That's what happens in rehearsals. That's what they're for. But Jack never said, oh, I wrote that script or if it hadn't been for me. Jack wasn't like that. Jack, you almost had to push Jack to say a nice thing about himself. He was actually, for somebody who was a performer, for so many years, quite shy, privately, uh, never appreciated how good looking he was, was amazed that women threw themselves at him, and they did. I mean, gorgeous, gorgeous women threw themselves. He, he, he knew he had talent. He didn't think he was talented enough. Sometimes he would say, you know, I'm in this business on a pass. I'm not really talented enough. And I would look at him, Jack, are you kidding me? You're one of the major reasons why the shows you are on are why they're successful. He never owned that. Uh, and he meant it. He really didn't believe that he was the big star that he was. Hmm. Well, what was his relationship with the whole cast of the Bob Newhart show? Bob? had a different relationship with everybody, and so did Jack. Bob and Jack, in front of me, really respected one another. When, you, when we would be with Bob, you would see Jack, you know, high boss, that, that kind of backing up a little bit and, oh, here's the big guy. But Bob would get instantly warm when he saw Jack. Bob was another one who's kind of cool unless he was with somebody he was really comfortable with. And when Jack would be there, Bob would open up, Bob would light up. Uh, so that relationship was good. Uh, Marsha Wallace and I were very good friends. And she, she, she loved Jack the performer. She had a problem with Jack the person, uh, that he was 
so insecure because she was so insecure. Hmm. Her whole autobiography is about how insecure she was and how she had, this is public knowledge now, a nervous breakdown while she was on the Bachman show. And they had to write her out of the show for several episodes and write around her sometimes because she was having a really hard time emotionally. So she had a hard time with Jack's insecurities. They, they fed hers. She was like, Jeff, I love Jack. I can't stand talking to him on the phone. He makes me crazy because of his insecurity. Suzanne Plachette loved everybody. Uh, and if she didn't, she told you. I mean, there was no doubt about what was on Susie's mind. Whatever it was, she told you in plain language that I cannot use here. But every time she saw him, every time we were together, it was delightful. Uh, I don't think anybody disliked working with Jack on that show. We wouldn't have had him back. I don't think Bob, because there were so many characters there, I don't think Bob would have allowed a troublemaker or somebody who sowed seeds of discontent to come back. It was a happy family, mm -hmm. except for Marsha. And it wasn't that she was unhappy with the show. Marsha was unhappy with Marsha. You know, Bill Daly, Bill Daly did feel that Jack got a little too much airtime, that he was a build performer, a regular. And uh, there were times he felt that stuff that was given to Jack, and there's one episode in particular. Uh, there is a very famous episode where all the male characters on the show are in Bob Hartley's house for Thanksgiving and they're drunk. Women, women have gone away. Yeah. It's the famous Moo Goo 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 show where they're trying to order Chinese food on the phone and they're so drunk they can't say Moo Goo Gai Pan. They're just Moo Goo 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 Goo. And Jack <laughs> Riley steals it. And Bill, Bill Daly told me that he resented that, that, that those should have been his lines. There's always going to be that kind of thing on the show. When you have that many talented people and you have only... 20 something minutes to fill in the show, someone is going to get a little hurt once in a while. Yeah. I've, I've never heard a bad word about Jack Riley, except from women in his life. Uh, they, they had some issues with him. You're listening to Hitting the Mark. My name is Ray Carr, along with Cindy Verblin and the star of our show, Jeffrey Mark. 